Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Father, we just do. We honor you. Thank you for loving us so well. We just bless you today. Thank you for loving us. Father, we just, we open our hearts right now and we just receive that love. We receive that love. Lord, we are comforted in all distresses going on around us because of your love. In all trials, we are never alone. You've not abandoned us. Father, we know that Jesus was abandoned so that we wouldn't have to be. Father, we know that you take those that have no family and you put them in a family, your faith family. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your grace. Thank you for protecting us, keeping us, watching over us, and loving us. Father, as we move forward in this service, I come into agreement with those that are listening here and over the internet, Father, right now. And Lord, I ask that you give us utterance, you give us words to speak. Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would speak directly to the people. I yield myself to you, Father. Flow through me as you choose. Teach what you choose to teach. Let your convincing love be manifest to all the homes watching, all those that are here, whether they're directly a part of faith family or maybe they're just joining us for the first time or an uh, one of a few times online, but we, do, Lord, I do, I ask that you minister to them. I'm believing you to touch them in a miraculous, tangible way, Lord, that you would, you would stretch forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders would be done in the name of your holy child, your holy servant, Jesus Christ. So we believe you for the, these things. We thank you for them, Father, according to your covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to move forward in our service here. And uh, if you're not already seated at home, you can go ahead and do so. Worship team, you can go ahead and find your seat. But I want to I wanna continue uh, in part two of our series uh, today that I started on Wednesday night. And I'm, I'm very excited about this. I'm just going to go through a few points and I... I um, uh, I was going to have us go all the way through John and 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, but I realized in my eagerness that uh, there's no way I'm going to teach all that in, in two services. So I want to encourage you, please, read through John 14 through 20. Uh, it's, and, and really, you could go into all the Gospels and just read over the accounts of what took place in the final days, the final hours, right before Jesus uh, went to the cross, and then as he went to the cross, and as he was crucified, and then as he was buried, and then as he was uh, as he was put in the tomb, and then as he was raised from the dead, look at all the accounts and and um, and look at how God uses each separate author to bring out different things by the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes there have been people that um, you know in the natural world that are atheists and they they hate God. They hate scripture, and um, they think the Bible is, you know, kind of like a wizard, you know, fairy tale. It's uh, Peter Pan. It's a, just another thing like that, and so they'll dissect the scriptures 
in their minuscule intellect. And um, that, that's not a, actually an insult. It's, it's just the, the truth because anybody that doesn't believe in God, the scripture says, is a fool. And so if you try and dissect God from your intellect when he created your intellect, you're not going to be able to do it. Uh, it's just not possible. Um, so don't take that as an insult. Just realize that it's an opportunity for you to change your perspective if, if you're watching and that's you. But realize this, that if, and, and so what they do is they dissect the Gospels and they say, see, this disagrees here and here, and it's all little detail things. But those who are investigators, like if somebody's going to investigate a crime scene or let's say a car accident, and there's four witnesses, each witness will bring a general, general consensus of truth, but their stories will not actually perfectly line up. In fact, in law, in those type of things, the, the, the lawyers and the judge and the, and the jury know that if everything, every witness gets up and says the exact same thing in detail, that it's actually pre-planned and it's not real. But in this case, God is so smart. Of course, you know, he's a genius. And we, don't, we don't even have, we can't even compare on that level. But he has these four different accounts that those who supposedly, you know, say there is no God, um, they, they get all bunched up in the fact that little things alter. But if you were standing and looking at an accident and on one side of a street and I was on the other side of the street and saw the same accident, we would have different perspectives, but we both saw an accident. And we both would give enough information to be able to prove that the accident happened. And so this was no accident. Um, what happened to Jesus in the resurrection. So I want to encourage you, read through those and look at them from different sides. Let's go over to John chapter 17. And we'll begin there. And then I'm actually going to go to Mark chapter 14, 15, and 16. And I'm just going to hit a few passages in each one. Because Mark is kind of like the gospel with a tracksuit on. He, Mark is like Mr. Speed, you know. He goes through the gospel and he's like, uh, you know, Jesus was born. This happened. Bam. Now he's in the ministry. Bam. Now he's going through this. And he's just very quick. It's in kind of a broader overview. He hits a few highlights, but he just runs through the gospel. Where like, well, like Luke. Luke is a doctor. And so he just doesn't say, you know, so-and-so had a fever and they were healed. He says so-and-so had a great fever. And, the, and he gives the details because he was a doctor. So he gave more detail. So I can't go through the detailed gospel this morning because we just won't have time. But we'll go through a few high points here in John 17. And I want to start with, and if you're taking notes, what is Jesus' prayer for you? And why did he pay the price that he did concerning that prayer? I'm going to show you this. So if, you, if you're taking notes, John 17 verse 20 is where we're going to start. But this, this first point for that is, what did Jesus pray for you? Now, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed thousands of years ago, knowing that there were going to be people that were born that had, would not have physical contact with him, but he wanted a prayer to be in the earth from the place of the earth 
sent to the Father so that it could be answered throughout eternity according to those who would put their faith in him. Now, this will trip your mind if you're not too careful, but, but Jesus prayed for me, and I wasn't even born yet, but yet I can grab the benefits of Jesus' prayer because he established the covenant in the earth for the Father to be able to move, and this is wonderful. So let's look at this verse 20. Jesus says this, I do not pray for these alone. If you read earlier in the chapter, he was praying for his disciples. But also, so not just for the disciples right now, Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What a powerful prayer. Jesus says, these guys are going to write books. They're going to preach messages. And I want to pray for the people right now that they're going to preach to that will never hear my voice physically. I mean, Jesus is eternal. Talk about the omniscience of God, the all-knowing of God, the all-knowing of God functioning through temporal Jesus body on the planet. Talk about the beautiful prophetic picture of Jesus prophetic office being able to hear from the Holy Spirit hear from Father in heaven and being able to pray out over generations to come and have them receive benefit from Jesus prayer you know I got to ask this question again because we asked it on Wednesday when we were looking at John 14 15 in there but I got to ask this again do you think Jesus prayers get answered This is not just some person praying for you. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, praying for you specifically for where you are today. I I, I challenge you, hear and receive it. Hear and receive it. See, I, I look at these scriptures and I go, thank you, Lord, for praying for me. I receive the benefit of your prayer. I don't just sit back and go, oh, that's a nice historical event that took place. And this is a, a nice little historical book that, that records uh, things that took place in history. I don't do that. I don't live like that. I live with an eternal perspective and I see that Jesus prayed for me. He said, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, verse 21, that they all may be one. Now watch this. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. Wow. Look at this prayer. Jesus is praying that we would be one as as him and the Father are one, that all believers would be made one as Jesus and the Father are one. Now look at this. It even gets better than this. And he says in the second half of verse 21 that they also may be one in us. See, I'm born again. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I received Jesus into my heart 23 years ago. I received Jesus into my heart at a youth camp for the Assemblies of God in Hungry Horse, Montana. I was 19 years old. I was uh, in a desperate place in my life. I had just graduated high school, had no plan for my life. I graduated high school with a phenomenal 2.45 grade point average. It was amazing that I actually made it through high school is really what was amazing. And I had no plan for my life. I had friends that were, you know, they had really applied themselves and many were smarter than I was in in the book sense in that way. And they went off and they went on. They had plans to go to college, plans to go to the military, plans to do this and to that. And I was planless. I was hopeless. And I was almost lifeless, to be honest with you. 
And I didn't know what to do, but I had a family who prayed for me repeatedly. I had grandparents that would come up to me in the middle of major rebellion and go, like my grandpa on my dad's side, he would look at me and he would say, um, stop being an idiot, Sean, and get your life right with God. <laughs> I mean, he was just, you know, sometimes people wonder why I am the way I am. I blame my grandpa. He's in heaven, so I can blame him. But he was, a, he was tough. Robert McFarlane, Bob McFarlane, he was tough. And uh, he, he, would, he was praying for me, and he would tell me he was praying for me, and I'd be like, oh, it's no big, you know, don't bother me. I'm doing my own thing. And then my grandparents on my mom's side, um, you know, they're from, they came over from Norway, from Denmark, that, and, and, and my mom actually came over here when she was 13, and my, my grandparents uh, uh, immigrated to America, and we called them, we didn't call them grandma and grandpa, we called them mumwa and muffa which is in, in, in their language, that's mo- uh, mother's mother and mother's father. And so they would come up to me and they would say, um, and my, my, my momo would say to me, she would say, now, now Shawnee, <laughs> she would call me that, that and Shawnee Ian, because Ian's my middle name, and she'd say, we, we lift you up before the Lord every night before we go to bed. And I, you know, I was young, and so I'm like, oh, you know, whatever, you know, it's okay, yeah, they're praying for me, you know, stuff like that. I didn't realize how powerful those prayers were, because even in the midst of massive rebellion in my life, God invaded my space and spoke to me. I want you to hear this. God spoke to me when I was high. And people say, you can hear God. God can speak through past any alteration of a drug or alcohol or any of that. There are many, maybe you've heard of uh, um, that gentleman. Oh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, But, oh, he he was the lead guitarist for the band Korn. And if you've ever watched his testimony, he's, he's saved now and a preacher of the gospel. But if you've ever heard his testimony, he got born again while snorting drugs through, through $100 bills. And the Lord, you say the Lord can speak in spite of those things, in spite of these things that we do that alter our, our yes, the power of prayer works. And so even in this situation where it says Jesus prayed for us, that prayer is powerful and it's still working today and it's working on our behalf. And he says here in the last half that they also may be one in us. Watch this, that the world may believe that you sent me. What a powerful statement. You know, we may not agree every little detail doctrinally, but you know what we can agree on? The love of God. We can agree on that. And as a church, even now, even more, we need to come together and be one as the Father and the Son are one. We can be one in them. Let's go on to verse 22. He says this, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a powerful statement. Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to have all the glory. He said, I'm going to get this glory, this glory, Father, which you have given to me, I have given to them. The Lord Jesus is saying, I'm going to share my glory with you as a believer. If you haven't believed yet, the Father God, Jesus Christ is saying to you, if you come to me, I'll share my glory, I'll share my power, I'll share my resurrection with you. 
And he says this, he goes on to say, that they may be one just as we are one. Skipping down to verse 23. This is powerful. Jesus says, I in them. Jesus in me. You know, you can make that personable, personable for yourself. Jesus in me. And then he goes on to say, and you, Father, in Jesus or in me. So what do we see here? Jesus is in us. And then the Father is in Jesus. So where is the Father and where is Jesus? By the power of the Holy Spirit, when you're born again, they are both in you. I don't just walk around. This is what we talked about last week or last Wednesday. This last Wednesday. If you didn't watch the service, you can go back and watch it. I am never alone. And neither are you. Never alone. You say, what does this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Everything. Loneliness can be destroyed in your life too if you as a believer will believe this verse or you as an unbeliever will choose to believe Jesus. The, lone, the loneliness, the depression, the lies of the end, the hopelessness can be driven out of your room right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Angels will drop into your room and flap their wings and blow the spirit of Antichrist out of there. Christians do not have to yield to that spirit. You can yield to this word and submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we see here, Jesus is in us. God is in Jesus and they're both in us. Watch this now. He says that they may be made perfect in one. Do you know we have the ability in Christ as the church collective to walk in oneness People say, oh no, that'll never happen. By the power of the resurrection, according to Jesus, it is possible. You say, what is the main thing then? If we can't just agree on everything doctrinally, the main thing is we can all, believe, all agree on the fact, first of all, that Jesus is the only Savior and Lord and, and only way to the Father. And secondly, to love our brother as we love ourselves. If we walk in love... We can be one even though maybe our doctrines aren't exactly one in every little detail. We can walk in unity and love. And that the world may know, watch this, this is the most powerful testimony to the world. That the world may know that, that you, that Jesus was sent by the Father and, that, and have loved them as you have loved me. So watch this, the Father loves us and the world as he loves Jesus. People say, well, I've never known the love of a father. Receive Jesus and you will. Receive Jesus and you will. It is your answer. It's the answer to those situations where people have believed lies about who they were created to be. Where people have believed lies about their identity, their gender, their sexuality, all these things. Where people have believed lies about their self-worth. Where people have believed lies about who they are and what God has created them to be. The answer is the love of God and you can have it in your life. Verse number 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. What a powerful statement. In other words, Jesus is saying through what I'm about to go through, which we're talking about his resurrection today. We're talking about that death burial resurrection, that death tomb resurrection. We're talking about that today what is he saying he's saying i am going to prepare a place for you that where i am you may be also see i don't wonder i don't return just to dirt when i die i go straight to be with the father in heaven 
I go straight to be with the Father in heaven. Now, my body may deteriorate if we don't experience the rapture of the church before my physical body dies. But that's just my physical body. This is just a tent I live in. This isn't even really me. What the real me is on the inside, I look through these windows called eyes. I listen through these two tiny little ears on the side of my head, which I inherited from my dad's side of the family. But but I'm on the inside. I'm not on the outside. I'm inside of here. I'm a living being. And, And because I'm born again, I'm already have passed from death unto life. My spirit, me, the true man on the inside cannot die. It's impossible. You can kill the outer man, but you can't kill the inner man. And then he goes on to say this, that they may behold my glory, which you have given to me. We are to behold the glory of Jesus that the Father has given to Jesus. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. What a powerful statement. Talk about the omniscience of God, all-knowing from before till the end. He knows the end from the beginning. He already knows it. And we get the opportunity to repent and to serve him and to be a part of his wonderful plan. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. So this is super powerful. If you want to know what what Father God is like, look at Jesus. People, people will say things to me. They'll message me. They'll say things to me as a pastor, as a minister. They'll come up to me and tell me things that they claim what God is like or things he's done. And I think to myself, huh, that really doesn't match up with what Jesus was like. See, Jesus said here, the world doesn't know the Father, but Jesus does. And what did he represent? How did he present? How did he represent the Father to the world? He showed a specific side of the Father. And it was the goodness, the mercy, the graciousness, the kindness of God. It was the truth and the love of God. Not just a a squishy kind of love, but a true substance of love that has the redemption of all humanity in mind. The redemption of all people. I love what um, Bill Johnson says, and I got to say it again, because it's just such a Holy Ghost solid statement. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. I got to say it again. Jesus is perfect theology. In other words, you're not going to get a better picture of God than if you look, than if you look at Jesus, he's the best. So get that image and burn that image of God in your mind. People say, well, what does that mean? That means to the prostitute, to the one who's oppressed, to the thief of money, to the one who lies, to the one who is a, a, a tax collector. Maybe you work for the IRS. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe you've done things you shouldn't. Maybe you've stolen money and you shouldn't have. Maybe you've hurt somebody and, 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 and did things business-wise that were unscrupulous and you knew it was. Maybe you did different things that you weren't supposed to do. Maybe you were. Maybe you, were, uh, maybe you lived in fear and you loved the worship of men in your life more than the worship of God. Maybe you fear man more than you do fear, than you fear God. Maybe you're uh, uh, watching and you've been you know, uh, hiding things from your parents. I don't know what it is. But what is the message to you from Jesus? If you'll come to him and repent, he'll fix it. And you don't have to live with that sense of guilt on the inside of you. You don't have to live in that shame. You know, I'm actually surprised, but I know it does happen. There are actually many believers that have 
a, a, a just kind of a secret part of their life that they've hidden from year for years, and they need to go before the Lord and get it taken care of. Because if you don't, there'll be a root that establishes there, and it will hurt you. It will come, because roots always produce fruits, and and it won't be hidden forever. So that Jesus is perfect theology. Verse twenty six, he said, "I have declared declared to them your name, and I will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them." If you are born again, you have the love of God inside of you. If you don't have the love of God inside of you, because you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you, you'll be able to do it here at the end of this service because I'll give you opportunity. Let's go over to Mark chapter fourteen and start there. Mark chapter fourteen. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. I just want to go over a few things here concerning Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection just so that we can say that we did it proper. Although, I suppose if we quit right now, it would be a good message nonetheless. (laughs) There's been enough information given. So, but anyway... I want to look at this. John chapter, or Mark chapter 14. Sorry, not John. Mark chapter 14. And I want to read this, just this portion here to you that I wrote about Mark chapter 14 through 16. Now, this is just a general kind of a 20,000 foot, 30,000 foot view of these chapters, which you can read them in detail later. Jesus understood before any of these things that we're about to read would happen were going to take place, and yet he still paid the price for all humanity. The beautiful thing about Jesus and the plan of redemption is the motivation behind the demonstration. Now listen to me carefully. The beautiful thing about Jesus and the plan of redemption is the motivation behind the demonstration. All of the power and knowledge of the Godhead could have gathered together to justify the destruction of rebellion, but instead they came together for the redemption of all mankind. Now listen to me. I believe the Holy Spirit gave this to me. This isn't something I read out of a commentary. This is something I believe the Lord spoke to me directly. I want to say this again. The beautiful thing about Jesus and the plan of redemption is the motivation behind the demonstration. All of the power and knowledge of the Godhead could have come together to justify the destruction of rebellion of mankind. God could have done that. He has the legal right to do it. But watch this. He, what the Holy Spirit said to me. But instead, the Godhead came together before the foundation of the world for the redemption redemption of all mankind. You know, have you ever thought about that verse that says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? And people say, "Well, yeah, it's his goodness. That means that means he won't judge anybody." You're wrong. You say, "Then why does he say the goodness first? Because his goodness is the absolute best tool first. That's why It's goodness that draws men to repentance. And people say, well, then why even talk about the judgment side? Because like Paul said, in knowing all and having all the understanding we do about the grace of God, for those of you that are so rebellious and angry and hard-hearted and deceived, we warn men knowing the terror of God. 
But it is the goodness of God that is the best leading uh, uh, foot forward to draw men to repentance. And that's what we're going to see right here is the goodness of God. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. Watch the second part. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. You know what's amazing about Jesus? This has all been spoken ahead before it ever happened. Jesus, through his earthly ministry, repeatedly prophesied that this was going to take place. And yet you say, why is that so significant, preacher? Because he's walking through the fulfillment of prophesied destruction with the understanding that he's going to gain you at the end. He's walking through, laying his life down, allowing God is God knows that they're going to lie about him. God knows that they're going to deceive the people. God knows that they're going to do all of these things, and Jesus knows it as well, tells them they're going to do it in advance Because he has foreknowledge, his prophetic uh, ministry. You know, people talk about a prophetic ministry. This is a prophetic ministry. Is so in tune with the Father. And yet in the midst of it, think about this. He sets his will to God's prophetic word for him. And doesn't allow the circumstances around him. And the physical pain and the destruction and the lying and the deception. And all those things to stop him from redeeming mankind. He understands. That he is going to pay this price. But he also understands as the scripture says. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. This is so powerful. They were going to trick him. They were, trick, they were tricksters. And you say why, why were they trick? Why would they trick? Why would they do this? Because they have Satan. They have the spirit of antichrist in their heart. They're not born again. See born again people don't practice trickery. Trickery means fraud, it means guile, deceit, it means craft. The religious leaders had crafted or put together a plan motivated from hell to murder Jesus. That's what they had done. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, governments today, they would never do that. Oh yeah, they would. They would. Man's heart has not changed unless the government and those in authority today, people say, well, God's established the authorities. You are right, but that doesn't mean he picks the heart of the men that's in them. Individual will comes into play in individual lives. And even in the midst of God's omniscience, that doesn't mean that he is choosing a person's destiny. It may mean that he knows where they're going to choose and he may work that person into his plan accordingly overall. But in in a very individual sense, God is not picking the decision. So if you're a politician or you know one or one may watch this at some time, I don't know if it's possible, but who knows on Facebook, I guess it's possible. If you better make sure that your heart is right with God. Because if you're in a position of authority and you're functioning in craftiness, your sins will find you out. And people say, well, I won't get caught in this life. It doesn't matter. There's a life after this one. Everybody will stand before God. 
And so they planned this trickery, and this is powerful. This is such a powerful truth right here, and I just wanted to bring this out to you concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He knew he was going to be, he was being plotted against. He knew they were going to murder him, and he still went forward. The price he paid, oh my goodness, the price he paid. Even his own disciple, Judas, which we looked at Wednesday, deceived and lied, and he knew it was going to happen. We saw where Jesus, even in, during the Lord's Supper, which he established, um, in, in that time with his disciples, we saw that Jesus even washed Judas's feet before Judas betrayed him. And then we scroll down and we look at in uh, Mark chapter 14, verse number 27. If you want to move over there in your Bibles or scroll down there if, you, if you're on a device we see Jesus, and the title in my, my scripture says, in my Bible says, Jesus predicts Peter's denial, but really it should read, Jesus predicts the, all the disciples' denial. Because it says here that all of them would be made to stumble. Verse 27, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Verse 29, Peter said to him, and I think often, I think we would say this too, any heartfelt believer would, even if all are made to stumble yet, I will not be. But if the Lord tells you you're going to stumble, it's pretty much written, you're going to stumble. <laughs> he knows in advance. There's no sense in arguing with the Lord on it. Verse 30, Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, Peter, in other words, since you didn't believe my general word, here's a specific one, even this night before the rooster crows twice. You're going to deny me three times. In other words, Jesus knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. You say, why is that important that he knows it in advance? Because he realizes what's taking place. Prophetically speaking, by the Spirit of God, he understands what's happening. It makes his death even more grievous, even more difficult because he knows it's one thing if death was a surprise and he didn't know and you just get overtaken by it. But he knows in advance by days, hours, weeks, he knows why he's here and he's moving toward this place of being slaughtered and he still goes. It's the love of God in demonstration. It's the greatest demonstration of love. There is no greater in all of history. Verse 31, but he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will de not deny you. And it says here, all, they all said likewise. In other words, all the disciples. So even as Jesus, isolation grows. Watch this. Jesus takes it on himself to offer words of solace and encouragement. Thus, even as he, it, he is himself stricken, the shepherd sustains his scattered flock through the trials he knows that they are about to face. So even in the midst of what's going on, what is Jesus doing? He's preparing them to be ready to overcome after he's been killed, after he's been murdered. And then moving on to the prayer in the garden, verse 32. Then they came, this is Mark 14, 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. This is the price that he paid for you. He was troubled and deeply uh, distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. 
Stay here and watch. Verse 35, and he went a little farther and he fell on the ground. The pressure was so great that he fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Now watch this next part of this verse. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now this is a powerful demonstration for us. What is being stated here? This is not only a a powerful A demonstration of Christ's full obedience to the Father's will, but also it's a teaching in and of itself to us today. We need to be able to, and there are believers that are watching where you maybe need to pray this prayer a few more times than you have, or maybe you've never prayed it before. You're born again. Yes, Jesus is your Savior. But what do we see right here? We see a a mark, a standard being set by the Master to step out and go, Lord, I don't, whatever your will is, that's what I'm going to do. You know, some people can't even give up their schedule for Jesus. They have the hardest time giving over their will. And you say, well, that's not me, preacher, because I, I don't even know the Lord. Well, maybe you need to pray your, his prayer uh, that way. Maybe you need to kneel down and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. I receive you. Lead and guide. Save me. Lead and guide my life. This is a powerful truth. Jesus gave up his own will so that we could have the will of the Father for us. It's powerful. Skipping on down to verse 53. Jesus faces the Sanhedrin. This is powerful, so true. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Some people do this. They follow Jesus at a distance. Because they haven't made him their Lord yet. As long as you continue to have Jesus as your Savior only. You're going to struggle in this life. You've got to make him your Lord. Verse 55. It says, now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. He was innocent. Verse 56. For many bore false witness against him. But their testimonies did not agree. Does this still go on today? Absolutely. If they did it to Jesus, why wouldn't they do it today? They do it today. Nothing's changed. Humanity is still under sin. And still under the sway of the Antichrist. Verse 57. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple and made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Isn't this interesting that even in the midst of this and what they're saying, they're fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus declared. They're in the middle of participating in the fulfillment of what Jesus spoke months and weeks earlier, hours and days earlier. And they don't even realize where they're at because they're hard. They haven't yielded to God. Verse 59 but not even when they not e- but not even then did their testimonies agree and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying do you answer nothing what is the, what is it these men testify against you but he kept silent and answered nothing again the high priest asked him saying to him are you the Christ the son of the blessed 
Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What a powerful statement. And what we don't, what we realize today because we're in the new covenant and we have the epistles is that what Jesus was saying is not only am I going to sit there, but my church is going to sit there too. And we will be united with him in the air when he, re- when he comes back. We will ch- be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We, our bodies will be glorified as his body is glorified. That's the promise, the hope of the return of Christ. These words fit right into the prayer, into Jesus' prayer we read in John 17. Go back and read it later and then look at it. Part of the price Jesus prayed was the consequence of speaking the truth to a group of people who were motivated by evil. This was done for all for our redemption, but also as our example. Part of showing our love for God is speaking out truth when it is unpopular. Go on to verse number 63. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death, even though there was absolutely no proof. Do you know this trial, this particular uh, trial that was done here was done in secret, and it was supposed to be done in public, and it was done in a house, and it was supposed to be done in public courts, and it was all done illegally. And people say, oh, but does that happen today? All the time. And your only escape from it is Christ, the spirit of truth. Verse 65, then some began to spit on him. How many would like to be spit on? Jesus paid that price for you. And they blindfolded him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you're in a place where you know they want to murder you and now they've blindfolded you? What kind of terror would that try and sweep through your physical being? But they blindfold him and they begin to what? Beat him. This is before he gets to the Romans. And to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. See, even in Jesus' day, there were those that were religious that mocked prophecy. But yet it's still here. And it's still working. But here's the greatest part about this. They are mocking Jesus with sarcasm concerning prophecy while they are fulfilling what Jesus prophesied concerning them on his way into Jerusalem. This is powerful. The omniscience of God, the all-knowingness of God, the great love of God in all of this is amazing. If you think about this, they are fulfilling what he said they would do while they're telling him to prophesy. I'm so thankful he had redemption on his mind and not revenge. Because he could have said, here's a prophecy, dissolve. And that would have been the end of him. But he didn't. He re- his love for those who are, who are uh, trying to humiliate him is on display right here in redemptive qualities, in Jesus keeping his mouth shut. Let's skip on down. He goes to the cross. Let's look at this in Mark uh, chapter 15, verse number 16. It says, then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium. And I skipped over Barabbas and all that stuff because we just don't have time. And they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple. 
And they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing, so they spit on him again. And bowing the knee. Come on, we're in a time of social distancing. You're supposed to stay six feet away because of spit might come out of someone's mouth or wear a mask. And here Jesus is being spit on. Not like they're having a conversation. And it's not just spit on. He has open wounds. His flesh has been opened and they are spitting on him. You say, is it necessary to go through this? Well, which gospel would you like to have preached to you? Which version would you prefer to have? Because this is a picture of what it took to redeem us from the rebellion that we participated in with Satan himself. This is it. This is what it took. It's horrendous. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's on, there are no adjectives to describe the, the, the separation, the thing that we did in high treason against the Father. The only way it can be described on how bad it was is to look at how Jesus was treated. But they struck him on the head. They spit on him. They bowed a knee to him. They mocked him. They put a cross on his shoulders. And I want to read something to you in wrapping this up. A medical examiner's uh, dissertation of knowing, because the scripture says here, and I've looked in all the gospels, it says simply they crucified him, but here's a historical perspective of, of Roman crucifixion and what took place. The Romans first stripped the victim and tied his hands to a post above his head. The whip was made of several pieces of leather with pieces of bone and lead embedded near the ends. Two men, one on each side of the victim, usually did the flogging. Not one guy, two guys. And these are not guys who don't do this every day. They do it every day. Have you ever watched a video online of somebody with a bull whip who's really good at cracking that whip? This is how skilled these guys are. And they have a whip with pieces of lead and bone chips in it. And there are two guys going at Jesus. The Jews mercifully limited flogging to a maximum of 40 stripes. The Romans had no such limitation. The following is a medical doctor's description of the physical effects of flogging. The heavy whip it is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy leather strips cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is unrecognizable, a mass of torn bleeding tissue. It's not surprising that that victims of Roman flogging seldom survived. The crown was made of some kind of prickly plant such as abounds in Palestine, and this they pressed into his scalp. Again, there must have been copious bleeding because the scalp is one of the most vascular areas in the body. The mocking was followed by further physical violence. Excuse me, the blows hitting his head from the staff 
drove the thorns more deeply into Jesus' scalp and caused even more profuse bleeding. They also kept spitting on him. At last tiring of their sadism, the soldiers tore the robe from Jesus' back. The fabric had probably stuck to the clots of blood and the serum in the wounds. Thus, when it was callously ripped off him, it caused excruciating pain, when as when a bandage is carelessly removed, Jesus' own clothes were now put back on him. The men condemned him to die by crucifixion. And Mark simply says, and they crucified him. What incredible restraint, especially when one considers crucifixion was, as Cicero said, the cruelest and most hideous punishment possible. Simon, in order to place the uh, uh, was w- was placed with Jesus in order to help him carry the cross, and then as they got to the to the top, he quickly moves to the other side and repeats the action of what he drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood of both of Jesus' wrists. <clears throat> The cross then is lifted in place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot. And and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each. Leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified and he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in his wrists. Excruciating, fiery pain shoots along his fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, his heels, the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurs as the arm's fatigue cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rendering cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. A loss of tissue fluids reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. The body of Jesus is now in extremis and he can Feel the chill of death creeping through his tissue. His mission of atonement has been completed. He finally can allow his body to die. And this the Bible records with the simple words. And they crucified him. We know from there that Jesus was taken from the cross. That his body was wrapped and he was laid in a tomb. And we see as we go down to... uh, 
um, Mark chapter 15, um, verse number 16. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the tomb. Skip down to verse 5. Actually, this is Mark chapter 16, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And it says this, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. For they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. You say why is it necessary to talk about all of those things and talk about what took place? Because you need to know the price that Jesus paid for you. It wasn't a light price. You know, we're going to take communion here in just a second. And so I'm going to uh, have my family come up with me. And if you want to grab the elements where you are, you can get ready. But I just want to close with these few words before we move to communion. Our culture... The secular culture has gotten too far into the church's description of these things. Jesus and the price he paid, I don't know if you've seen it, and you'll, as parents, you're going to have to make a judgment concerning your kids and their age and, and being able to watch some of these things. But I encourage you, especially parents and adults, go watch the passion of the Christ that Mel Gibson did. It's probably the closest, truest rendition that I've seen of what took place with Jesus. And so as we're getting ready to take communion here, and then I'll pray with you, and we'll pray over the elements. Think on what I just read to you as a description of the price that he paid for you. Guys, in that price is peace of mind. It's available to you. In that price is salvation of your soul from hell. It's been paid for you. In the beating, in the whipping, in the hanging on the cross, the scripture says, by his stripes, you were healed. There's healing for you. Don't take this lightly. Don't take it as something uh, uh, that, that, that is just trivial. Not only is it historical fact, it's spiritual truth. And you say, well, but I've never received Jesus. I've never made Jesus my Lord. I want to pray with you right now where you're at. Go ahead. If you guys want to come, Heidi, you guys can come up here and just get everything ready. I want to pray with you where you're at. And I want to pray this prayer with you to receive Jesus. And then we're going to take communion. You say, well, I don't have the elements for communion. Hey, grab a piece of bread. Grab some juice if you have it. If you don't, grab what you got. It's a representation. Just grab something to represent the blood of Jesus. But first, if you've never received Jesus, or maybe you've backslidden from him, let's pray. Bow your heads and close your eyes, please, everybody.
Say this prayer after me. Father God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, your spirit in this message has convinced me that I need you in my life. I see now that Jesus paid the full price for my sin. I believe and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive Jesus and I do receive Jesus and what he did on the cross as a substitute for me. I declare he paid the price for my sins and I now receive peace with God and the Holy Spirit making me new in my heart, my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, please contact us. Let us know either by Facebook Messenger or you can go to the website and contact us. Let us know. I know last week we sent out a Bible with new believers material to somebody that wanted to re- that rededicated their life. We would love to do the same for you if you, this is your first time being saved or, or rededicating your life to the Lord. Please contact us and let us know. We'll get information in your hands. We'll contact you. When the quarantine is over, we'll have new believers classes available to help you. And you can join this family if you're in this area, this faith family, and be a part of what we're doing and growing spiritually. Get your life on track and keep you going in the right direction. Let's do this. Let's take communion. All of you that have been waiting patiently, we're going to start with the bread. The bread represents the body of Christ. And what it represents is the body that Jesus had in this earth and the price that he paid for us. So what we do with the bread is we do this. We actually break it, and we'll do this in a second. And what that is is symbolic of what we just read about Jesus. His body was broken for us so that ours doesn't have to be broken. So let's do this by faith. Go ahead and break it and then eat, and we'll pray over the bread. Father, we do. We thank you for the bread. Lord, that represents your body. Lord, we know that this is not your actual body, but we know that it is a representation, a symbol of what took place of thousands of years ago on the cross. And so, Lord, we believe that as we partake of this, we are declaring by faith that you were broken for us, that you were uh, whipped for our healing, that you were literally, Lord, shredded so that we could be redeemed and made completely whole. And we receive that wholeness right now into us. Physically, if you're sick, receive healing into your body right now in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, by his stripes you are healed. Receive wholeness into your mind. Receive wholeness into your physical being. Secondly, we have the cup. And the cup represents the blood of Jesus. This is the blood that was shed and is still on the mercy seat and is speaking better things than that of Abel in our lives. It's speaking mercy, mercy, mercy. There's mercy for us. There's grace for us. There's forgiveness. There's a washing away and a cleansing that is forever operating in the eternity of eternities before the throne of God. And that's what this represents. 
And so when we partake of it, what we're saying is we believe and we partake in what Jesus did for us. So let's pray over the cup before we partake. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this cup. We thank you for what it represents. We receive the cleansing, the washing away of internal. Lord, uh, condemnations right now are being removed in the name of Jesus. Guilts are being removed for things that have been repented of. But there has been hindrance of the enemy in the area of forgiveness. Receive that forgiveness right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that as we partake, there's a washing away and has been a washing away of all separation from you in Jesus' name. Let's partake. Well, praise God. Thank you, Father, for the table, the bread and the blood of Jesus Christ, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, we love you guys. We're so grateful for you joining us today. If we need to, if you need to, if you have a prayer request, please message us. Contact us. Let us know you watched. Um, don't forget about the website. Wanted to say a couple of quick things here, just in, re- in regards as we close, as far as some quick announcements. We did post a video on YouTube for the Faith Kids, and there is a salvation prayer in there. And we wanted to let you parents know, you know, if you turned on that video and, and the kids, your kids watched it and you walked away, maybe they prayed that prayer and you don't even know it. Uh, have a conversation with them, please. Uh, sit down and find out if they did. If they didn't, go ahead and say, hey, would you like to receive Jesus? Um, and, you know, maybe they're already born again. But have a conversation with them if you didn't see that. But we wanted to make you aware of that um, just so you can be aware. Maybe some of you parents watched with it. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord too by watching it. We'd love to know. If your kids did, we'd love to know as well because we always want to know those things uh, so we can have a record of them. Then also... Wanted to say this one more thing before we go to a final video that Josh is going to be sharing with you as we close out here. But if you go to our YouTube account and uh, click subscribe, that would be great. We would appreciate it. And I think it's Faith Family Billings, Montana is what it is. And then even on our Facebook page, if you like our Facebook page, also go in there and Click the notifications alert and we'll let you know every time we're about to go live and you'll get information from us there. The, se- the last thing is you can always go to our website, which is faithfamilybillings.com. So I think that's about it for us. Happy Resurrection Day to all of you. And we just want to show you one video as you're going. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday for Bible study. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.